my heart is pretty full. I've had a couple months to actually think about this Sunday. Pastor Matt and I have talked a, a couple of times and exchanged some emails, and uh, I've actually listened to his messages the last couple weeks, and uh, just to get a feel for what kind of foundation is being laid for a year of missions, a year of a whole congregation of people, God's people, being shepherded by a, a senior pastor and a mission committee and others that have prayed about this, and aligning yourself with the plan of the ages, the plan from the very beginning. It's, it's not like God is shuffling um, the card deck and coming up with a new, a new idea, a new plan. Um, the more we're involved in all of this, the more we, we realize with great wonder that God is doing things that only God can do. We used to think that we just have to send missionaries out and go, and now we find that many of the people that we went out to reach are in our neighborhoods. They've come here. And most of us, our ancestors at some point in family history, moved to this country. Unless you're Native American from the first peoples who lived here, we, we've all come here. And the world has been like this. Really, I mean, even in the history of Papua New Guinea, the tribes were quite nomadic. The government station in the little tribe I worked in, of 550 people I went there, the government down in the south area between a bunch of tribes, they established an, uh, an outpost. They put a few Australian patrol officers there, and they called it Nomad River. Because as they began exploring in that area, they realized these people are all nomadic. They're just moving around. Well. We are too. How many cities have you lived in? How many homes have you lived in? My neighbor across the street's from Morocco. A couple years ago, the woman across the street over there was from Russia. It's a German family there. A Japanese Buddhist in the house next to me. A man and his wife from Cuba on the other side. And on and on it goes around the block, around the neighborhood. We have the world at our footsteps, at our, at our doorstep, and, and it's not that far anymore. And God is doing new things to reach the people that God loves and God wants to save and will save, and we get to be a part of that. Um, that's pretty amazing and pretty exciting. I think what it means for me is that a year of missions in this church could be you know, fasten your seatbelt and, and um, watch God work. Watch God work. So the question I've come with is, what does it mean, not only for Northgate Church, but for your life, to live your life on mission with God and for His purpose? What does that look like? And... Um, to explore that a little bit further, let's go to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, and um, I can squeeze a missionary message probably out of just about every passage of Scripture, so I'm going to do that this morning. Colossians 1 is filled with great Christian doctrine for Christian living. It's one of my favorites. But the man who wrote it was a missionary, and the man who wrote it 
was sitting in a prison cell in Rome and he, was, he had time on his hands and he was writing a letter of pastoral encouragement, spiritual encouragement to a congregation that, who knows, might have been this size. They maybe met in house churches. Maybe there's some wealthy people in the church that had a villa that opened up their extra space to, to gather the believers together. And Paul's writing to encourage them. And when he encourages them, he reminds them of how their church got started. Paul did not start this church. He started a lot of other churches in his travels. But this church was started by another little-known first-century pioneer missionary. And I just want to look at his life in a real brief way this morning. Uh, Colossians 1, 5-7, the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, you Colossians, as indeed in the whole world. So there Paul does two things. He talks about them in their local setting, and then he backs up and he talks about this great, big, whole world, like any missionary might do. He lifted up their eyes. Jesus did that with the disciples. He said, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. They are white and ready for harvest. They were, they were missing it. They weren't seeing what they needed to see. And I think that we need to be this way. We need to be whole world Christians. And Paul says that it is bearing fruit. The gospel is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras. There's his name, Epaphras, our beloved fellow worker. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Epaphras, the man that God used to be the missionary, to take the gospel, the first one to introduce the name of Jesus to strangers to the gospel. That's pretty exciting. So let me just make a few comments about this man, a man so ordinary. He's just a regular man. He, he doesn't appear in scripture as this great prophet or this man with unusual gifts or this rich man or a talented man or a, he's just Epaphras. He's just ordinary. He appears to us as someone who just leaves the place where he heard the gospel to take the gospel to the place that didn't have it. And that was his hometown. That was where he was from. Uh, the commentators think that, that the gospel has actually moved from Ephesus, where Paul was for two years, and that Epaphras was in the Bible school, the school of Tyrannus in Acts chapter 19. And he was learning the gospel. It's the same word that's linked to the word disciple. A disciple is a learning follower of Jesus or a following learner of Jesus. And Epaphras learned the gospel from Paul, probably. He eventually became a co-worker on Paul's team, but he took it back home where nobody knew about Jesus. 
A man so ordinary, um, the video there spoke of my father. He had a business degree from the University of Pittsburgh. Didn't mean, got saved, got excited, was learning scripture, was involved in a church like this in Richmond, Virginia, where I was born. And um, my dad was so impressed one day when, when, the, when the door into the, the pastor's uh, study, the boardroom of the church, my dad looked through the, the open door and he saw all the elders of the church down on their knees in prayer. And so my dad was being discipled and, and being um, equipped to be a servant of, of God and wanted to be a missionary. And he got turned down because he was a businessman, he was too old, he was like in his early 30s, but good missionaries that we want are young and vibrant and in their 20s, and you're in your 30s, Mr. Fletcher, and you're a businessman and you have four children, two children is ideal on the mission field, you have four, and um, so he didn't make it, didn't make the cut. Um, and it was many years later actually when he was in his late 40s, that he started Pioneers. So it was a journey. And before my dad went to heaven, he wrote a book called When God Comes Calling. Because God came calling. God had his, his hand upon that man, that ordinary man, Ted Fletcher. Um, my dad was not a great speaker. He was not trained at Bible school. That was the other thing held against him. He didn't have the Bible training to qualify. And uh, so he was in a little box and he raised his family and he thought, well, maybe my kids will be missionaries. And he prayed and sure enough, they all became missionaries. And um, so it's a great story. These are the stories that God writes. God raised up Epaphras. Epaphras was God's strategy. Epaphras when we meet him in heaven, you might walk right past him. It's like he just looks like a regular, ordinary, average, run-of-the-mill man of the first century. And uh, maybe that's who you think you are. Maybe you think, wow, I, I, I could never be a missionary. Year of missions, that, count me out. I might go to another church this year because I could never do ministry. I... I and, and you might have a long, if pressed, give a long bunch of reasons and excuses. And believe me, I've done that. I've done that many times in my life when I've taken on new ministry assignments and disqualified myself before there was ever a conversation because it was all up here or in here. Oh, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a great sinner. God doesn't use great sinners, does he? I mean, ask the Apostle Paul. He said, I am the worst of sinners. That's how he felt about his sin, that it was the worst of all the people of the world. So God called him. So this is the kind of thing, these are the stories that God writes. Um, and it's exciting to watch it unfold. And if... If this man so ordinary is sent out by God to go to this place, what kind of team did he take? And this is where I wrote down in my notes, a team so small, a man so ordinary, a team so small. From the pages of scripture, it appears there is no team. He didn't have a right-hand man or woman. Did he have a wife? Was she a part of it? We don't know. 
See, that's how small it was. It was Epaphras. That, that the spiritual history of that church was all traced back into a solitary life. A man that one day decided to show up with the gospel. He just showed up. He just started planting seeds, giving it out, having conversations. He knew how to have conversations. He knew how to build friendships. He knew how to answer questions. He had learned the gospel. And uh, he was a student, we could say, of the word and of the gospel. And, and he just showed up. He, he maybe didn't have a team. And if he didn't have a team, look at the situation he walked into. And this is where I wrote down a need so great. This is a whole city of people. Like our brothers and sisters that have moved to Pittsburgh because it's a big city. There's a lot of different neighborhoods and people groups and communities and hills and bridges. And I learned this week that there's more bridges in Pittsburgh than anywhere in the world. I met a missionary once who worked in China, building bridges in China as part of his missionary profile. But the fact is the needs are great. 30,000 people lived in Colossae. They had a pagan religion. There was, it was full of shrines with idols to false gods. They were like their neighbors a hundred miles away, the Ephesians. And there in Ephesus, we learn of the, the worship at the temple of the mother goddess Artemis, the largest building in the Western world. So think of, I don't know, what's the largest building? I know the Pentagon is a big building going that way. There's buildings that go up, skyscrapers, big buildings. The Temple of Artemis was the largest building in the Western world. And they sold little shrine, little uh, silver and clay shrines that people, the pilgrims would, uh, replicas that they would take back and, and put in their homes and in their um, courtyards, and they would uh, continue their pagan, heathen worship of false gods. And these were the people that needed. This was such a great need. We used to call them lost souls. More often now we call some of these kinds of people unreached peoples because nobody has reached out to them, no gospel um, message has penetrated that darkness. These people are spiritually blind and they live in spiritual darkness. Even if they had eyes to see, there's nothing to see. It's all darkness. Do you get the picture of how great a need that is? Let me read about, um, I'm just going to read through quickly just a short list of some needs in our world today. These are inescapable. You don't even have to watch the news to be aware of some of these things, and some of it's happening here. Wars and rumors of wars, threats of domestic and global terrorism, refugees, the migration of more than 60 million people across the globe who are currently displaced, 
60 million people. Their lives have been put in danger. They've been forced from their homes. In some cases, they have fled for their lives from their countries, from their homeland, from their mother tongue, from their people, never to return again. Syria, Afghanistan, Haiti, Latin America, our southern border, Natural disasters like earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, fire, poverty, economic need and collapse, famine and hunger. 155 million people around the world live at crisis levels of food insecurity. Every minute, 11 people die of hunger. Sickness and disease, AIDS, COVID-19, the third leading cause of death. Mega cities with mega problems, children at risk, an estimated 153 million children worldwide are orphans. 30 million people are being trafficked in bondage, 130 new people. While we're having this church service, 130 new, many of them women and children are enslaved every hour. People who did not know slavery and now have become slaves. People living with disabilities, addictions, mental illness, all kinds of diseases, spiritual oppression, demon possession. What a needy world. And this was Colossae. Every problem probably known to man was there. What an opportunity to extend the healing ministry of Jesus to this neighborhood down that street, over there, over here, wherever and everywhere. John Piper has said that Jesus was and is concerned about human suffering, especially eternal suffering. And that, that's really what makes us different. I mean, does pioneers do humanitarian work? Yes, we do. We feed the hungry, we work in war zones, we, do, we have doctors, nurses, we have medical clinics. We, we do all kinds of things to extend the holistic healing ministry of Jesus to people. We are also concerned about eternal suffering and that people who don't know about Jesus and the gospel do need to know the gospel to be saved. So that motivates us. We speak of people and places of greatest need and least opportunity. And I know our friends that have moved to Pittsburgh, you know, they, they look around. It's like if there's a good church here, then we don't work here. But, but there's no church there. There's, and, and, and it's thinking strategically about the greatest needs are the places where there's the least opportunity for those needs to be met. Because they don't, they don't, there's no accessibility to the gospel. And a need so great becomes a work so hard. This is hard work. I like what Nicholas de Torrente, the former executive director of Doctor Without Borders, made this statement. We find out where conditions are the worst. The places where others are not going, that's where we want to be. And that would be true of pioneers. Uh, we want to go to hard places. 
It's just the nature of our calling. Many, I mean, some of these high-powered, you know, young missionaries come at you and they're ready, they're ready to die for the gospel. They want hard. They want difficult. Tell them that the language is going to be hard and they're ready for it. They'll roll up their sleeves. They may struggle learning it, but they want that challenge. And this was a hard work for Epaphras. It, was, it, it, wasn't, it didn't just happen. I'll talk more about that tonight, about the challenge of reaching the unreached. Resources so few. What did he have in his pockets? Probably not very much. There was no church denomination or missionary sending agency to help him, to prepare him, send him out. No planes, trains, or automobiles, no printing press, radio, computer, smartphone, no internet. Maybe that's a good thing. Um, no social media platform to get his message out. It was not television that spread the gospel. It was teleperson. Person to person, life on life, conversations. It says that when Jesus sent out his 12 disciples two by two, he instructed that they should take nothing for their journey. Take nothing. Don't make it complicated. Don't, don't weigh yourself down. You don't have to go out on a, on a shopping spree to get what you need, Jesus said. Take nothing for your journey except a mere staff. No bread, no, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals, and he added, do not put on two tunics. Don't need two. One's good enough. One, one will do fine. They were not professionals with sophisticated programs. They were servants of God filled with the Holy Spirit. They walked everywhere they went. And walking at three miles an hour is the speed of love. When you walk slowly, you can have conversations with people around you. You can see needs around you. We're not in a hurry. Jesus didn't save the world in his lifetime by eradicating poverty and everybody wasn't healed and everybody didn't believe. He did the Father's will. Asked again and again, why are you doing this? What's this about? It was all about the Father's will. Some people were healed, some were not healed. What a model for us. We're overwhelmed with great need and the work is so hard and I want to save everybody. You're not going to save everybody this year. But God has called you to be faithful to his will. That's the hard part. What is his will this year for your life? And the gospel is so powerful. It is so powerful. The work is hard, but the gospel is powerful. Throw a little bit of gospel there. Have a conversation there. Do loving kindness and good, good deeds over here in the name of Jesus. And watch what happens. Because this is the picture. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing along the lines that God has ordained and established. The work is God's. 
The gospel is good news for the lost. It's good news for the found. It's good news for the city. It's good news for the world. Back to the question, what does it mean this year in your life for you to live on mission with God? So let me give you a couple of suggestions in closing. Discover God's purpose for your life. Pray, spend time with God, talk to spiritual leaders, spiritual friends. What is God's central purpose? What's the story, the meaning of your life? Identify your spiritual gift. Get involved in doing your part in God's global plan. In some small way, right, starting right here. Dream small in 2022. Join an existing ministry where you can serve for a year. You just show up, you fit in, you do your part, you're a regular faithful servant in that ministry and you learn from others. If you don't want to join an existing ministry in this church or in this community, start your own ministry in an area where you're burdened, in an area where you're gifted. Do something. Doesn't have to be great, doesn't have to be big, doesn't even have to be known but to a lot of people, but start a ministry of your own. Start a, a service project. I, I, I used to say this to my kids when I drop them off at school. Find someone that no one else loves and love them. I drop them off at school in the morning. Bye-bye, Johnny, have a good day. Find someone that no one else loves and love them. Get started that way. And I have uh, some other ideas. Come back tonight, I'll share them. I know we're at the end and uh, I wanna pray for you. A man so ordinary, a team so small, a need so great, a work so hard, and a gospel so powerful. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I thank you for this congregation. Like those first century believers, they showed up in church. They want to be disciples. We've worshiped you together, Lord, because you are worthy. And we want to give our lives to you, Lord. We want to take up our cross and follow you. And if it leads, leads to our own suffering or death, either here or in some foreign country, Lord, may it be so for your glory, but use us and uh, may this year of mission be a powerful one for your glory and for the blessing of this church and this city in Jesus' name.